welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God, an independent RPG podcast. I am your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. Uh, did you know apparently it's possible to get hungover off one Long Island iced tea? Like, this is something I'm learning now. Yes. I think it was. <laughs> like, I thought, like, I don't know. I, I thought I was hungover because I was dehydrated. But uh, no, apparently Long Island iced tea is strong. I didn't know that, actually. Uh, but... The, the most drunk I've ever been was actually off Long Island iced teas. Those things oh. are no joke. Okay, well, it did taste a little strong, but I didn't think yeah. it would get me hungover. This is a PAX thing, by the way, dear listeners. Oh, uh, were you super hungover after that night where we were all sitting around drinking? No, it was actually the night that uh, Eric and I went to Hot Pot, and uh, mm. I had a, a Long Island iced tea, and I woke up with a searing headache, and I thought it was because, well, I did have that drink, and then we walked, and I was sweating like crazy, and I didn't really drink any water, so I'm sure that didn't help. Also joining me is my equally lovely co-host, Eric Van Allen. You you ate hot pot. You like walked all day. You barely drank any water. Hot pot doesn't have like a lot of carbs in it. We weren't eating a lot of carbs there. So there's like nothing to absorb. And then you're like, oh, I drank a glass that's basically just four shots of alcohol. Why am I getting a little woozy? <laughs> oh, that's a, I learned something about chemistry today. You learned lessons that some of us learned in college, and and you just learned it at PAX. (laughs) Hey, better late than never, right? Absolutely. And our special guest is Reb Valentine, returning. The thing that I've learned is that in the last several years, since hitting like age 30 or so, sometimes I'll have like one drink and be completely ruined the next day and incapable of doing anything. And then another time I'll have like four drinks and it'll be like nothing happened. There's no explanation for this. I've been on a remarkable run of drinking over the uh, last couple weeks, and it doesn't look to be stopping anytime soon. (laughs) Mm. You just described uh, 2023 in a nutshell. How calmly you say that? (laughs) Pretty much. I'm on a remarkable run of drinking and being drunk. (laughs) Written like one of the Civil War soldiers writing home, I fear I shall be gone a fortnight on my drinking expedition. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm on the East Coast right now, and there's uh, some remarkable alcohol over here down in uh, sunny Richmond, oh. Virginia. So Welcome to the Beast Coast, the, the best coast. Yeah, the Beast Coast. I'm kind of into this whole podcasting at noon as opposed to podcasting at 9 a.m. thing. Please don't change it because, dear God, I don't want to start podcasting at yeah. 3 p.m. Uh, yeah, I don't want to pod in the middle of the afternoon. I don't want to pod at 3 p.m. Zoo Batman, cats just like Archer, as in like if I stop drinking now, the cumulative hangover might kill me. Mm, but mm-hmm. this week we have Reb on because we are going to be talking about E3. It's dead again. Uh, again. E- uh, Reb Valentine <laughs> broke the news over on IGN.com. Oh, yes. well, thank you. I stabbed you. the knife in the E3. <laughs> thank you for taking from hell's the heart. I stab at the. <laughs> for hate's sake, I spit my last breath at the E3. Um, but. Yes, we are also going to be the le- talking about The Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom, of which we got to see 10 minutes of new gameplay footage earlier this week. Before we get to that, though, if you enjoy the podcast, please leave us a review on the podcast of your choice. You can follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot, Nadia's at Nadia Oxford, Eric's at CMoosey, and Reb is at Duck Valentine. If you want to support the podcast, you can go over to Patreon. Patreon.com slash Pod, where for just $1 a month, you can get a show ad-free. And also, you can go over to our Discord, and you can vote in the Pantheon of the Blood God, which just wrapped up 
and I believe the pick for this month is The Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past. So, so, very exciting. One. I know Inside Out and Upside Down, so cool stuff. Yeah, I look forward to revisiting it. Maybe I'll play the randomizer. That'll be oh, a lot of fun. That's a good idea, because I've played Link to the Past so many times, it's like, I know every single pixel of it, but I've never done a randomizer. I might try that. I need to check and make sure that it was, in fact, <laughs> um, uh, a link to the past. Um, there, there was a last yeah. minute push for Majora's, but there was, there was. It was thirty nine percent a link to the past, thirty percent Majora's Mask, um, Breath of the Wild, seventeen percent. I, I guess nobody really wanted to go back to Breath of the Wild. It's not we've all long. spent so much time on it. Yeah, yeah. Zelda yes. two. <laughs> there was a very bold like brave and bold uh zelda 2 contingent who are like you can pry my zelda 2 vote from my cold dead fingers that was my first zelda game i think and i I really fell in love with it it was it's so unusual but even now i like to go back to it and swear at it uh it's it's (laughs) definitely a fun game to play if you have a rewind feature or something i i'll just say that the only zelda i've played out of that selection is breath of the wild i haven't played any of the other three so well eric you're expanding your horizons yeah Yeah, no it'll be it'll be a good time who who could say if eric selected this pantheon purely because it was zeldas that he wanted to play that he had not played yet (laughs) oh you gotta play link between worlds then after this you gotta play a real zelda i've played link between worlds you've played breath of the wild i mean there's like a million other like that's what I'm saying. Is I've Zeldas. never played Zelda 2 or Majora's or Link to the Past. Link to hey. the Past is definitely like top on that. You got to play it list. Mm, yeah, it's it's pretty good. But honestly, like as the person who routinely comes on this podcast and yells about weird games, shout out to Majora's Mask. That oh, thing yeah. rules. Uh, I kind of wish the people who had done that last minute push had won out because... Man, what a what a weirdo, incredible little puzzle box of a game. Mm-hmm. The 3DS version is actually really good, too, it the is, remake. Yeah. It's- yeah, it has, like, just enough, like, little tiny quality of life things that they yep. stuck in there with, like, I, they did something, like, with the owl statues or whatever. I don't remember what that was uh, to make it a little less painful. Oh, man. Yeah. That game is so uh, good. I actually played the version that, came, that was infamously bugged. I think it came with the GameCube disc uh, of some kind. And, uh, yeah, Master it Quest, baby. What Wait, it was supposed to say it wasn't on it wasn't on the master quest though right that was ocarina of time yeah it was one of those like you know hey here's a bonus disc because no one's buying the gamecube please 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 mm-hmm. buy the gamecube mm-hmm. so it's like oh cool all these free zelda games and one of them was majora's mask and yeah it was bugged so i mean i had the cartridge too i still have the cartridge I have the gold cartridge I actually bought it on launch day so I- i'm quite majored masked to the to the max majored to the max to the max to the max I got a GameCube because my friend was so desperate to have the the bonus packing disc that mm, he was mm. willing to go have see on the on the GameCube. So I got like a seventy dollar GameCube, and he got the the packing games. Cool, good deal. Good deal. Um, I would love to shout out our patrons, uh, our stars of destiny, who are joining us this week. And we have in the chat Abby of the Moon, Drew RWX, Cal L, Not Hollow, Mango Alts, Sardin, Spirus, Super Moop, Teeps, and Zoo Batman. Thanks so much for your generous support. And finally, if you want to buy some cool merch, including mugs and hoodies and t shirts, go to shop.bloodgodpod.com. All right. 
It's time now to talk about what we've been playing, our sacrifices to the Blood God. And we'll start with you, Reb, since our, you are our special guest. Oh, well, this is a perfect sacrifice to any Blood God. I'm playing a little game called Dredge. Yeah. Uh, you might have seen some people discussing on social lately. It's an indie game that's light, lightly popping off. Um, it is what a is fi- it? It is a fishing game. Oh, uh, I is it an RPG? No. Hey, does no. the boat have stats? <laughs> Plus five yeah. to waking. Hell yeah, yeah, it's an RPG. Let's go. Yeah, there's stats. <laughs> there are stats of of a sort. Uh, so well, okay were- then. Can, does it have to be an RPG? I'll talk about Octopath. No, no, no. I want to hear about fishing. No. No, so it's a fishing game. You're this fisherman who shows up in this town uh, that, because they're old fishermen. Something happened to him. Who can say? Uh, and your job is to go out and fish and provide for the community. And you go out and it's got like a day-night cycle and a, and a little clock. The clock only runs while you are like actively doing stuff. So if your boat is moving, if you're actively fishing, uh, you can later on, you get an ability to like dredge up stuff from the water, like, like trash and like wood and things that you can use for mods on your boat or whatever. Um, if you're doing that, the clock runs. If you're holding still, it doesn't run. But anyway, while you're out there fishing, there's like, there's different little fishing mini games. Uh, there's one where there's like a little cursor moving around and you try to tap when it's in the green to make your, to mm. basically fish faster. Like you'll automatically yeah. fish at a slow speed and you don't, you, if you don't touch it, you don't have to do anything. But if you like, it's basically button time, button press games of different varieties yeah. where if you do it correctly, you will fish faster. If you fail, you take up more time to fish because you lose, you lose uh, the fish. And the whole, the whole idea is you take the fish back and you sell them and you make money, which you can then use to pour into your boat to modify your boat to fish better. But Here's the big but. The reason why doing things quickly matters is because at night, everything goes to hell. Yay! Uh, I love this game. crap happening in the ocean. I love this game. This uh, is my game of the year already. You keep fishing <laughs> up weird two-headed fish with spines and evil powers. Uh, cool. There's a mis- there's mysterious red lights in the distance and eyes blinking at you. And if you stay out too late and start, you start getting a little freaked out. I'm really glad I... I don't think I'm not gonna I'm not gonna promise this. I don't think anywhere they call it a sanity meter because I'm really sick of people calling using that that verbiage for this kind of thing. But the idea that the longer you stay out, you start to get more and more freaked out and you start seeing things and like your light on your boat will go out and you might not be able to see rocks and you'll smash into them and do damage to your boat. Or maybe a weird sea monster will come up and just kick the shit out of you. Cool. Uh, so basically your goal generally is to get home before sunset. Uh, and as you progress and upgrade your boat, you get an, you get faster engines, let you go further out and get back in time. There's more ports that you can get to. There's a whole bunch of different places you can go. Um, but also because, you know, it is a video game. Sometimes there's stuff you need to do that can only be done at night. And so you have to like, uh, kind of like figure out, manage your time and figure out how you're going to be out at night. Uh, you're weird. You're, you're being very freaked out by the stuff, uh, can only go away if you spend a lot of time in the light or if you sleep, um, and you can go back if you're at a port, you can sleep. Um, but yeah, it's basically like trying to figure out, trying to fish and make money and upgrade your boat to progress through the story of figuring out what's going on in this weird ocean. Uh, there's a guy who seems to be very hung up on collecting five relics, uh, that mm. you are basically getting from him and he's sending you to these different totally sets of islands relics. that are like further and further out and have increasingly dangerous creatures. Uh, I just got done with an area that was like this really cool tropical lagoon where uh, there were all these like gorgeous glow in the dark fish and like glow in the dark corals. So at night it actually wasn't as scary because with the light like helps keep 
the crap at bay. So my my I, I didn't get freaked out as easily and there weren't as many monsters. But in the center of the lagoon was a giant tentacled thing. And if I ever got too close, it went up and bruh. So nice. I couldn't go I couldn't go into the center of the lake or the, the ocean, the center of like the the islands. But that was exactly where I needed to go. So I had to basically visit some people and solve this this puzzle that involved catching different fish and doing different things and upgrading my boat. Uh, in order to solve a problem that would let me get, gain access to that center area. So yeah, mm. that's Dredge. Uh, nice. I'm having a really nice time with it. Mango Olds pa- posted a Drake meme with the fishing, no Cthulhu <laughs> shit. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and it's also like, I think I think they've sort of gotten rid of some of the friction. Because I, I know like people people love Stardew Valley, but they get really annoyed at the fishing minigame or people find no, fishing minigames to be boring or, or like frustrating. No, no, I, I, like them. I like them. I like them. I like it. But I, really? I think. Oh, yeah. I, a lot of people complain about fishing minigames. Um, but I do think this one has gotten rid of a lot of the friction with it because so much of it is automatic. Like if you if you just leave it alone and do nothing, it will fish for you. Uh, but you playing well means you fish faster and solve problems faster. And the bulk of the game is like sailing around and finding things and trying to avoid a weird sharp toothed thing that is coming after your boat um, or discovering what those little dark boats in the distance actually are at night. Um, Yeah. So it's, it's a fishing game, but it's also about many things that are not fishing. Eric, I see that, your your game that you've been playing is Ken Shepard's uh, undisputed game of uh, Pax hey, East in hey, OGDC. Hey, let's let's get this clear. I'm the one out here who's bringing that Slay the Princess to to the group. All right, all right. I was out there preaching the good word prior to <laughs> Pax, so a little bit Fair of enough. credit here. Uh-huh. I, I heard about it for the first time because of Ken's tweet. That's why I was. Mine yeah, because he, he posted his article first, but <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm still kind of like in my post pack. So like a lot of stuff I'm playing right now, I can't talk about. And I also just haven't been playing a lot because I've been really burned out from all the, the traveling and playing games mm-hmm. and stuff. But yeah, I hear you. Uh, there were a few from packs that I did want to give like a brief shout out to like Demon School is fantastic. Um, I, I got to play that and, and that was wonderful. But Slay the Princess is the one that I think a lot of people came away from PAX as their like showstopper. And it's it's carrying forward a little bit of that Cthulhu uh Eldritch shit that we're on right now. Uh where the whole concept is that uh you uh wake up and you're in the woods on the path to a cabin, and the narrator informs you that uh you need to go to this cabin and slay the princess that is being held captive inside or the world will end. Uh, she gets out, the world ends. Uh, and then you get to talk back <laughs> and you get to argue and you get to reason and you get to have a discussion or you can just play along and you can be like, okay, I'll kill this princess. And then you talk to the princess or fight the princess or murder the princess. And the whole thing is I think it's best described as like, what if the Stanley parable was a little bit more eldritch, a little bit more <laughs> creepy, oh, uh, 10% more eldritch. Yeah. 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 Because the, the whole idea is that everyone is unreliable and you are kind of trying to figure out this moral dilemma where nobody is showing all their cards. And there's a lot of different ways that um, not to get like too far into spoilers. The demo is up on Steam right now, so you can go play it if you want. I really highly recommend you do if you like um, just seeing narrative design, uh, interesting narrative design. 
But the whole idea is that little decisions you make play out into big things. So say like you go to the cabin and there's a knife on on the table and you can choose whether or not you want to take the knife down. Like, do you think even if you're not going to slay the princess, do you still want to have the knife on you? And the princess will notice it and will respond to you in kind. You can be like, no, no, I just I just have it here. And she's like, oh, but you still think that you might need to kill me. So that's how like this. This really did not start our relationship off well. And it like plays very well off of just like little nuances and dynamics and also kind of eventually getting to the point where it's like, no, you need to make a choice. Like, are you going to save the princess or slay the princess? And then and then whatever happens chapter one ends and chapter two starts and you're back in the woods and the narrator's Mm. like you got to go to the cabin you got to slay the princess or the world will end and you're like wait haven't we been here before and everything's different because everything has changed and evolved depending on what you did in the first chapter and there's a different princess there it might be biblically accurate princess who's tall and evil or it might be nightmare princess or it might be prisoner princess who's kind of like Hannibal Lecter like it's it's really something i i uh i think what really helped was that they the the team uh black tabby games was on the the corner of the pax rising area so they were right next to a big three lane of traffic and they had they had like one setup that was just like a laptop and headphones like kind of classic uh small scale pax demo situation their other setup was a tv with like a loudspeaker and people walking by would get just drawn into it and i heard that on the last day someone did like a a crowd let's play of the demo and like people were getting drawn in not just like to play the game but to watch other people play the game and see what choices they made what princess they got how it evolved and that to me was the moment where i was like they they got something they got something so i've been watching this one since the first trailer came out Uh, i played the first demo back at the steam next fest this is the new demo that's out now on steam with more princesses and more horror (laughs) shit yeah um i i'm really excited to see uh how this thing comes together because it's a really really cool concept a really like laser focused smart idea uh and i can't recommend it enough to people who like narrative design it's really cool It strikes me that uh, a game like this might be interesting when generative AI gets to the point uh, that it can conceivably carry an interesting visual novel where you can just have conversations with uh, in-game characters and the game can uh, adjust as as you go. Um, But yeah. I I guess. I think like the yes ending can get it to a certain point, but it's sort of the things that... AI is never going to be able to creatively conceive that like really makes Slay the princess work where like you have these like the ways in which the princess evolves based on what you've done is not just like interesting in a oh new horror kind of way but if you've played the demo a few times she evolves based on like did you kill like like did you kill her and she kill you like did you mutually kill each other in that first chapter or did she just outright destroy you? Just like you didn't even have a chance. You didn't even put a scratch on her and she just murdered the bejesus out of you. That will be two different princesses and their forms, their personalities, the way they respond to you, the way they treat you is going to be reflective of that dynamic between you two. And I think that's something that like 
I don't realistically see a, a computer ever being able to well, be, you're describing be so is not that sophisticated, Eric. But no, um, well, he's actually but, played it. It's, I mean, yeah, it might I, be kind I, of different. It's it, it's like a really it's it's a really smart thing. Obviously, also the art is incredible. the The voice acting is mm. honestly what makes a lot of that game too. Um, it, the voice acting is is simply phenomenal. Um, there's a lot of things all coming together to create this like very tight but very um expressive horror experience that I'm interested to see like carry out into a full game. As usual, I did not really play a game this week because I apparently don't do that anymore. <laughs> I did, however, see a movie. Um, I went and saw a Miyazaki Fest thing and I saw Castle in the Sky for the first time. Mm. Oh, you haven't seen um, it? <gasps> yeah. It's JRPG the game. Ooh. Yeah. Kind of realized that. Or more specifically, I was like, wow, uh, Breath of the Wild, the Breath of the Wild folks really, 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 really loved Castle in the Sky. Didn't they? they sure did. <laughs> um, just. Laputa uh, itself was just one big um, Breath of the Wild puzzle for the most part. It was uh, it was excellent, but beautiful movie. Um, I love airships. I was thinking a lot about Tailspin for whatever reason um, in the course of watching Castle in the Sky. Um, glad I watched it. Uh, I think it's an essential one if you want to understand uh, JRPGs in general. Yeah, for sure. It's like basically Skies of Arcadia. It's Mega Man Legend. It's like every anything in the sky. Basically, that's where it comes from. So we talk about D&D and Token all the time, but there's also the Ghibli factor. Mm-hmm. It's like Especially how many, more now than ever. How many games just straight up borrow from Nausicaa, Valley of the Wind? Uh, first one I could think of, actually, it was uh, Crystalis for the NES. There's a actual... Mm-hmm level that's just literally the forest from um nausicaa the toxic forest with the big bugs Mm -hmm. yep um nausicaa by the way is another movie i have not seen oh it's so good it's really good it's a great it's 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 like it is to sci-fi fantasy what jrpgs or what lapito was to like jrpgs you know what i mean like it's it's definitely I'm like convinced that the introduction of Ray in the force awakens is a direct reference to Nausicaa. Cause like it's, really? it, it is almost a shot for shot, like recreation of like the, the scene where you are introduced to Nausicaa is like the same as right. the scene where you are introduced to Ray. It's like almost exactly the same. You're right. I remember thinking that at the time. Yeah. I was, I was sitting in the theater and I was like, is this, did you stand up and Miyazaki reference? Yeah, and if it's not, then it's like some deep-seated, like I don't know, culture touchstone that that feels like it was inspired by. But yeah, it was, it, it was that, and and that was really cool to see. So, really quick lightning round, everybody's favorite Ghibli movie. Go, Nadia. Uh, probably Princess Mononoke. Eric. It, it's Princess Mononoke, but Howl's is probably up there too. Really? She calls Mononoke, that house boring that castle. I, I love Princess Mononoke. Like that is I, I love the story. I love the action. I love the part where uh she's about to stab him in the throat and he's like, You're so beautiful right now. And I I felt that right there. I was like, Hell yeah, mm-hmm. my dude. It's <laughs> the first one I ever watched. Uh how about you, Reb? It's Howl's. Oh, interesting. Why? Yeah, I I I think it's it's been a, it's a tough tie with Spirited Away. 
Um, I love Spirit Away too. There's, I don't know. There, there's something about the 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 kind of more ensemble cast of that one of mm. all the the different characters in the house um, and and the the varied performances and like the the sort of swinging between like the moments of like levity with Calcifer and then like the really beautiful moments of them like coming together in that field. And yeah, I don't know. I, I also, I also love that the protagonist is for the most, for the majority of the film, like basically an elderly woman, uh, Mm, which I think rules. I mean, she's that way because of Mm. circumstances, but like it's still pretty different. It's great. It's great. And the food, the food in that one. Food's so good. Yeah. Uh, I gotta give a shout out to Ponyo. I might be the only person in the world who wants to give it a shout out to Ponyo, but oh, I, I love, love Ponyo. Yeah, Ponyo. Okay, because anything to do with water and just the water animation in that, I'm like the I'm the wee guy. Ten out of ten, great water. Like that is me. So <laughs> yeah, no, I, that's, I, I love Ponyo's that. Great, that's that's up there for me. I like it better. I like it. I like it better than Totoro, which I know is a sin. I like it better than Kiki's Delivery Service. I love yeah. Kiki. So cute. Oh, I love the little. It has no plot. That's my problem. I know. It's so cute. I think if I watched Kiki's now, I'd probably like it more than when I watched it as a kid and didn't really vibe it. I haven't seen Howl's or Kiki or Nausicaa's, so that's... Or Spirited Away. So that's four Ghibli. I haven't seen Spirited Away. Can can I have been... Can can I have Spirited Away? It's like the one everyone has seen. (laughs) Yeah. All right. If you fix fix this, if you fix this in any way... Immediately, Spirited Away needs to be top of the list. I know I said House is my favorite, but Spirited Away is like, like the one. Right? Everyone, I'm, I'm excited to announce the autumn of of Ghibli. Um, <laughs> yes, you know we're very Gotham. we're very excited. The, the Gotham, the Gotham of Ghibli <laughs> rolls right off the tongue. No, I'd I'd totally be down for that. My favorite Ghibli film is the one that doesn't get mentioned very often in conversations like this, but it's The Wind Rises. I saw um, that. That was pretty good. That one, uh, I found that movie quite heartbreaking um, and beautiful. And I like historical fiction uh, more than I like fantastical fiction um, for the most part. Yeah. So it, it was it was lovely. I recommend you watch it sometime. And, I'll, and I promise it. I'll watch Spirited Away. Please do. Yeah, you should. I think I think you would like Spirited Away quite a bit, Kat. Hmm. And uh, Nadia, it says high level Final Fantasy fourteen crafting because I hate myself. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's basically yeah. That's it right there. Uh, like Eric, uh, I had to get kind of caught up this week. Uh, speaking of Ghibli, by the way, y'all walk too fast. I messed up my foot, and the nurse, uh, she had a Totoro bandana, and she's like, Aww. "Oh, I love your bags." I had a Totoro bag, so. Uh, that was the one good thing that came out of all that. I sprayed my foot. I'm small. People don't understand my stride is very small. You have these long ass monsters. You walk like the Ministry of Funny Walk people, like burr, burr, like these huge ass steps. I can't take it anymore. These these are all fair <laughs> Who dunks. Is this you all. I was not here. That is true. And you would be in my. You'd be like me. You I mean, understand, I'm right? You. you understand. I do. I do. I mean, I'm not. I'm. I'm a little taller than you, but I. I do have to take like one and a half steps for everybody else's one step. It's, there you it's, go. You understand. But my agony. point is, uh, I had a bit of a busy week, and uh, I'm doing a lot of games that I'm doing behind the scenes for. I can't really talk about right now for same reasons you guys can't, I guess. But uh, I did take up crafting in like high level crafting in Final Fantasy 14, and dear God, it was a mistake, and I should stop now. But I can't. Mm, I'm working on mm-hmm. getting the crystarium, the crystal tools. It's so stupid. I can't believe I'm sitting here doing this. I can't believe I'm sitting here banging my head against a freaking saw and the wood that is under that saw, trying to <laughs> make these stupid 
tchotchkes for some cat girl who's like, I'll give you a better saw if you make these stupid things. I'm like, oh boy, that sounds great. And I'm sitting here doing this like a, a, a freaking jackass. And there's people over there like buying it off the market board, just handing it in for the turn-ins. <laughs> these <yeah>. rich assholes. <laughs> um, Getting all that I, shit off the market board. I will say, so the live letter just happened and they confirmed that the next Tataru's Grand Endeavor is going to be a follow-up to the Sorrows of Werelit quest line uh-huh. and so i went back this week to finish sorrows of werelith and that is the most gundam ass quest line in the middle of final fantasy 14 they're just like what if we did gundam and it works really really well and the last cutscene of that quest line i was saying there was like if anything could convince cat bailey to play final fantasy 14 is this quest line specifically it is well, what so kind good. of gundam eric uh oh she got you there what 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 if gundam uh what if you pilot gundam but it also had secret war crime button uh that you could push (laughs) anytime to do war crime but it would also eat your soul because it has another human soul inside the war crime (laughs) machine (laughs) okay i'll have human souls inside yeah no there's some evangelion that like seeps in too it's uh it's real good (laughs) I got I'm, I'm I hearing this. You, you get a you get your own special robot that you use for like one specific duty, and it's called the G Warrior, uh, and it fucking rules. And then later they remodel it for for the next battle. They like give you the upgraded version of it, which is the most Gundam thing. It's like we have upgraded the Gundam. <laughs> upgraded the Gundam. Well, you got to get the mid season upgrade. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, of course, it's like Power Rangers. The the Wing Zero, as it were. Yeah, with the 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 bird wings for mm-hmm. no reason. Maybe Why the best have angel wings? season upgrade. Oh, this is cool. God it's damn it! Cool. It looks great. Yeah. Are you kidding? Yeah, really yeah. cool. Jinx. And Nadia, you recently did a Charlene dropouts. It actually wasn't me. It was actually Vic who brought on a guest, uh, anonymous uh, lore expert for the fandom. A really great episode. Yeah, basically because of packs like Vic. Uh, Special thanks to him. Took over the episode and did a great mm-hmm. one. Uh, talked all about how Final Fantasy IV connects into Final Fantasy XIV. Uh, I will be around for a more involved discussion on how Final Fantasy IV and Final Fantasy XIV link up. Don't you worry, because I've got I have taught children on Twitter all about how Estinian and Kane line up one to one. So don't worry, I'll be around for the next time. But for now, great episode, and thanks so much to Anonymous for coming on and having a great discussion. You have a PowerPoint about how Golbez is actually great. Like that's <laughs> <laughs> that was great. That was my that was our well, that was problematic faves at PAX. Wasn't that was it? problematic that was faves. Yeah, your, your problematic Golbez. fave was hot Golbez. <laughs> hot Golbez. <laughs> I can't wait till he takes off his helmet in Final Fantasy fourteen. Lord, how do no, you no, gonna no, go nuts. the helmet stays on? No, it does not. <laughs> no, nope. oh. uh, 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 uh. well, that's been it. That's it for what we have been playing. And now it's time for a series of random encounters. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Final Fantasy XIV 6.4's live letter is here, and uh, Stormblood is free to download for a, lo- a limited time. Uh, 6.4, that, that's an upcoming patch, right? It's coming out in yeah. May. Um, yeah. Looks quite, quite meaty. Lots of uh, new quest lines and everything. I'm sure we'll be uh, talking about it in Charlie and Dropouts relatively soon. Square Enix is releasing Final Fantasy VII trading card NFTs because irony is dead. Forspoken's so expansion is, is launching May 26, despite the fact that it doesn't have a development team anymore. Uh, Dragon Quest series producer Ryotaro Ichimura is leaving Square Enix. Live Alive is headed to PS4, PS5, and Steam on April 27th. Hell yeah! Play Live Alive! <laughs> Reb really loves Live Alive. It rules! <laughs> Have we not done a Live Alive Pantheon yet? We should do a Live That's Alive a Pantheon. Call me! <laughs> I mean, my I think god, I will get one of my weird RPGs into your dang Pantheon! <laughs> Uh, we definitely had Live Alive on the voting at least once, but I think so. It, yeah, I, I don't it think it since make the it... remake came out though. Everyone I think vote for Live Alive. What are you doing? <laughs> Mark Dara is returning to Bioware as a consultant, and the Mass Effect team will uh, help get Dreadwolf acro- across the finish line. I'm not actually sure that was true. I was the the games beat. Um, <laughs> I'm disagreeing with our own random encounters. Hold on. Uh, the GameSpeed article was a little confusing on that point, actually. Um, on the Mass Effect stuff? Yeah, the Mass Effect team is um, in the middle of pre-production, uh, still in pre-production, and Dreadwolf is just trying to get across the finish line. Um, oh, okay, sorry, so this Dean. is GameSpeed's fault? That doesn't okay. sound very yeah. good. Gotcha. Mm. Sorry, Dean. And finally, uh, we'll be getting more Phantom Liberty info in June. And uh, CD Projekt also did their earnings just recently, and they ex- uh, talked a little bit more about what's happening with the Molasses Flood game, which mm. uh, effectively, um, they're restarting development. They're experimenting a lot with it. Uh, a decent amount of uncertainty, because it's a, uh, what was it, a multiplayer Witcher game? So I, th- I think yeah. they're trying to figure out what exactly that looks like, but... Yeah. relatively see. small and young team so i yeah I, I just hope that they give them some room to like you know restart I mean, that young restart i feel like molasses flood has been molasses around flood, for a hot did, minute well it may be maybe like for years wise but the only game i can remember from them is flame in the flood which was like a while ago but that's the only game i remember i thought that. they did a couple more than that but maybe i am wrong but our top story is e3 is dead again <laughs> 
Ding dong, the witch is dead. Possibly mostly for real this time in part. We think the corpse is smoking now. Hey, they said that the ESA and Repop will continue to work together on future E3 opportunities. That's the thing. That doesn't sound like E3 to me. That sounds like something branded as E3 that is completely different. That that part is especially funny to me as both of those sides seem to be sniping a little bit at each other. Oh, yeah. I think they're a little bit at each other. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Repop was not happy with the ESA. Let me tell no. you that much. No, I'm not yeah. surprised. Uh, disclaimer: Reb, Eric, Nadia, and I are all <laughs> former Repop employees. <laughs> disclaimer: yeah. We're all former Repop employees. I once stole their pizza. <laughs> That's true. We used to go to the Pax room and <laughs> steal their food. I was debating going into the PAX room at PAX just to go in, start going through their, going through their food, see if anyone says anything to me. But they would say something to me because they said something they got, the first time. They got so mad at us. They did. They got so mad at us at the media jackals like falling upon their their spread that they hit it. It was like gross. Like U.S. gamer only. yahoos. Yeah. It was like cold ass pizza anyway. Like no one's gonna eat it. It's like oh you can't have this. It's just like such a. Republican mindset. You can't have this. We're all going to throw it out. There actually probably aren't that. I, w- I was thinking about this when when we were writing the story together last uh, last week at the beginning of the week, Kat. But I actually, I was like, oh, we have to disclaim that we we're both former ReadPop employees. And I'm like, actually, I think there's probably not a whole lot of full-time people in games media currently who did not at some point yeah. work for at work least GamerNet, if not ReadPop. That's like the, the amalgamation for you. Everyone just kind of yeah. into one entity. Yeah. Yeah. As more and more websites shut down, there aren't that many options for someone to be a an alum. It's that or future. It's those two. Everybody's that's both for me. Two. I've been through. Yeah. It's only Bon Jovi. I've been everywhere. Still, I'm standing tall. Uh, Repop acquired US Gamer while I was there, so Repop didn't hire me. They no, acquired that's right. my website while I was there. We had you had uh, just started too. Uh, no, I'd been there for a few years, but oh um, right, okay, I had been thinking, EIC yeah. for a year at that point. Right, okay, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, but as for E3, well, I think it's fair to say that it just never quite came off. There was a a lot of um, a, a lot of discussions happening on background. They wanted to go for more of a Gamescom setup. Uh, publishers were seemingly on board until they were not. Yeah, and uh, there's a lot of different differing narratives as to why that is. Some publishers were saying, "Well, you know, we just weren't getting enough information. We weren't being shown any plans. Uh, It was too murky, and we just weren't going to. We just weren't going to spend a million bucks to build a a a booth if we didn't have a lot of certainty on return on investment." And meanwhile, Read Pop. Uh, was having a hard time because publishers were not committing and consequently uh, they uh, were being very cagey about it's like who's in well yeah can't tell you (laughs) the answer was nobody like e3 needs a function any conference any conference like functionally needs like several large anchors of some sort that Mm -hmm. everybody shows up for and then you also go see all the little things. So like for yeah. PAX, it's usually like a combination of, you know, a couple like really good panels that have like celebrities that people want to go see or, or whatever. And then there's usually at least a couple major booths there that people are there for. I mean, PAX is a little more consumer focused. So it's a little more about the vibes. 
Uh, yeah. But but e- even so, like if, if PAX, if if anybody of note stopped going to PAX tomorrow, PAX would be a much a much smaller show. Gamescom is the same way. Like there's there's several like big anchors of big things that people want to go see and then a lot of little things surrounding it. And it's also a business conference, which helps. God. E3 didn't need every single person to commit right away, but it needed like some combination of the big three or at least yes. like all the AAA publishers to show up and like anchor it in order yeah. for it to be worth it for everybody else. And basically everybody was just playing this big game of chicken. So like yeah. <laughs> everybody was going, okay, I feel like I kind of want to go. Like, it seems like a good idea, but I don't know. Are you going? And they're like, well, I don't know. Do you think you might go? Well, I don't know. Are you going? Like just over and over again. And when the, the, the clock just keeps ticking, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it's so expensive to build these booths. Well, I mean, it was cheaper this year for what we understand because they did do some cost cutting, but it's, it is still wildly expensive to do so at the LACC. Uh, it, most places have like laid off uh, their event staff uh, from yeah. the start of the pandemic and have not fully restaffed them. So they don't have people to plan this kind of stuff because it's take stuff takes tons of planning uh covid disrupted development cycles wildly and i have i have talked to many developers who have explained to me how difficult it is to put together an e3 demo it is nuts it is not Mm -hmm. just we are currently developing the game and oh we're just going to chop this slice out and put it up for public consumption you have entire teams dedicated to working on an e3 demo like that is it and the bigger your game the more risky that is and so that takes that can take weeks or months or like tons of personnel away from producing the main game like it's a whole mess and because COVID has disrupted cycles, a lot of people have games that are coming out this year, but did not have the time or the energy to spend on making a whole ass E3 demo. And all of this is combined with the fact that, well, we don't know that we have to necessarily. So why are we going to allocate the time for that? Like if we really, really absolutely have to go, we'll figure something out, I guess, and throw a trailer up somewhere. And so everybody playing chicken and all, all this risk involved. And then we get to March and suddenly people have to be the first people to say, well, actually, you know what? It's not worth it. And as as Kat got the scoop on Xbox, I mean, we kind of knew PlayStation was never coming back, but uh, specifically Xbox and Nintendo not going was a pretty big deal. Nintendo was a bit, was the death knell. Nintendo had been really interested for a while, from what I understand. Like they they actually were pretty supportive. They were part of the ground floor planning for e3 interesting um and and then it it might have still gone off if we had had you know a full roster of ubisoft take two tencent epic uh squaresoft like square enix Square enix all of the big publishers there but ubisoft dropping out was a pretty big deal and then from there it was just like well yeah i think that as soon as that news story went up it poisoned the well i killed e3 you killed e3 it wasn't me it was you it was me but they, uh, I mean, but was... they would have found out anyway because every, have your GDC, autograph? all of GDC was everybody <laughs> just asking me, do you know what's going on? Do you know what's going on? We have it's to true. make a decision now. Do you know? And I'm like, I don't know. I just work at IGN. But but that's yeah. like that's already not a great show of confidence that no. like when, when people are coming to us, the journalists, to be like, hey, yeah. you know what's going it's on with E3? Because that's, talk. that's a going? weird. Yeah. Is IGN going to be there? I yeah, at, at PAX, I got that question when I was doing some shows. We were like, hey, are you, you going to E3? And and I was mm-hmm. like, why are you asking me? Usually I'm the one who's asking you. Like, yeah. y'all going? Like- Normally we're like, hey, what are you showing at E3? And they're like, yeah. can't talk about it. So I have a question. Has an RPG ever had a truly big moment at E3? Final Fantasy VII. Is Breath of the Wild an RPG? Final Fantasy VII Remake just 
being revealed for sure yeah. was a huge moment. Yeah. Uh, for, there was also um, Fallout 4 was revealed at E3 2015. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. That was a great trailer. I remember too. being there. Yeah. Yeah. And that was like they revealed it and then it was coming out like months later. Yeah. Like, like that November. was a pretty quick turnaround. Yeah. Yeah. That was cool. I appreciated that. They managed to keep it largely in, under wraps until that moment, too. Yeah. Um, I've like been in development like for a long time at that point. Um, I, I'm trying. I'm struggling to think of others. Um, the thing with the thing with RPGs is they don't translate super well to these trade shows. No, they, de- no. they don't tend to be at the front forefront of major announcements, but well, they're always fun when they're there. I there there are some that like for some reason Xbox would always be the one to highlight a new Tales game because I guess they just have a good relationship with Bandai Namco. But like for some reason, like Tales of Vesperia remaster getting announced during the Xbox E3 show was always just so bizarre to me. Mm. Um, and like there are other times th- th- this was a little bit before my time. So but was Final Fantasy 13 being a 360 game announced at E3? Good question. Because mm-hmm. I do I do remember okay. the forum post about Final Fantasy 13 being on 360. There like was the a lot of noise about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember Shane Bettenhausen being on one up yours and being like, look, PS3, uh, Final Fantasy 13 on PS3, it's got the kill shot. It's got the big advantage. Here we go. And it turned out that they've got the exclusive demo. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I think it was right before that, that it had been announced. Final Fantasy 13 had been announced for the 360. And that was kind of when uh, the PS3 was sort of at its nadir. Mm-hmm. It, it was a bad time for the PS3. Um, yeah. At that point. I so. actually vividly remember the E3 2006 where PS3 was just dragged. I actually wrote about that for US Gamer, uh, where this was when the during the height of YTMND, you're the man now, dog, which was kind of like mm-hmm. proto social media, and people were just making all the memes like uh, the uh, I, now I'm thinking of it as the Jungle Boy song, but uh, Tarzan Boy, where they had that going along to the uh, picture of the PS3's uh, controller, which looked like a banana or a boomerang, like oh, 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 like going on with, with that in the background. So yeah, it got completely destroyed, and that, of course that was also the birth and the 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 kind of um popularity of ridge racer which of course went perfectly with with flash videos done by obnoxious teenagers Uh, but it was a pretty hilarious time i have to say Uh, i mean it didn't it it wasn't great to see playstation 3 like get completely demolished but at the same time it kind of deserved it at the time uh one rpg we forgot was cyberpunk like cyberpunk Mm. was the e3 game the keanu reeves moment Yeah. yeah Yeah, you're beautiful. Right. <laughs> you're breathtaking, though. Do Look you, at this. <laughs> I mean, do you count? Are you counting like action RPGs? Are you counting like Breath of the Wild as an RPG? Sure. Because yeah, I mean, sure. that's yeah. but... no. Okay, then no. I, I are you remember Dark was Souls? Breath of the Wild at E3. Oh, Dark Souls, Elden Ring, I mean, yes. for sure. Okay. Although I, I more closely associate that stuff with like the Keeleys, like like the Jeff yeah. Keeley <laughs> shows. I, which, I think, but, but speaking I mean, of Elden Ring. Just... Elden Ring has mostly been Keely stuff, but like uh, before mm. that, like several Dark Souls. He I couldn't believe, dance on that. Yeah, Dark Souls fast three enough. was a I'll big one. I'll tell you one. what, was it E three? Yeah. Breath of the yeah. Wild did have a, a big E three moment. Cat, it had that huge it booth did. in twenty sixteen. I remember that. Yeah. That's what was my first. That was the first year. hands on gameplay. I think. Yeah, and that was on the huge. Wii U. Um, oh God, that's right. That was my first full time E three because that was also the same E three we got uh, the Death Stranding trailer, and everyone was like, "What the." 
what in god's name is this it's weird to me that that we might have uh passed like ships in the night at that e3 because i was at that e3 as well cat to your point about rpgs not doing as well like at e3s at least on show floor demos like yeah i feel i feel like rpgs because they are generally longer slower games uh like don't work don't work until you get have more heavily into the action rpg section where you can show off like combat and stuff yeah i remember mass effect 3 had a hands-off demo at the e3 that i was shown at i think it was e3 2011 and it was it it was basically the beginning and it was more of a cinematic Mm. thing yeah. Like the the Reapers attacking Earth or whatever. like, And then they had a guy giving a presentation, but you didn't actually get to play the game. And Skyrim was kind of similar. Like, I remember... Right. Was that where we got the Dragonborn trailer? Because that was, that was an iconic one. I... Maybe? I, I just remember that there was a dragon. Yeah, so that was, the, <laughs> that was the trailer everyone popped off for. Um, but they didn't actually have first hands-on with Skyrim until a separate event at that time. So um, they announced yeah. they announced Elder Scrolls Six at That's E3. Right. They put oh up a, yeah, a picture of a mountain and said, "Here, here it comes, you pigs! Open yeah. up! Yeah, it's happening someday." <laughs> yeah, no. Here's Starfield. Here's a um, here's a, a logo for Starfield coming in five years. We got that that uh, Everwild too. Where's that? Oh, good oh, question. I was yeah. just thinking about that. Avowed all these ga- all these RPGs that are just MIA that I th- I am pretty mm. sure were announced at an E3. Maybe no, SARS probably did a number on a lot of them. You know what game I'm bummed about? This is not oh, an E3 game. Yeah. This this was a a Paris Games Week game or something. But there was that wild game where you played as like a druid that shape shifted into different yeah. animals. Yeah, y'all remember this one? It I was do. like at a PlayStation show, and you just like. W- would like yell like a bear and be like ah and then like a bear would show up and do bear shit for you and stuff and that game like i think klepik did a report on it it's basically canceled now but mm. uh there there was an era of like late ps4 where stuff was getting announced and then just kind of like disappeared into the ether mm. and was mm. silently like nobody nobody talk about it nobody ask about it what's beyond good and evil too we don't know <laughs> oh no it never existed the thing is, we act like nothing's happening this summer. In point of fact, there will be an Xbox showcase and there will be yeah. Summer of Games Fest. And I'm sure and there will Ubisoft. probably be a Nintendo Direct. Ubisoft yeah, there will be Ubisoft Ubisoft's thing. holding an Ubisoft Forward or whatever. Yeah. So yeah. it'll There'll all happen. It'll just be stuff. a bunch of loosely connected events per usual. It's so funny how Nintendo, like so long ago, we saw them going digital and we said, what are you crazy people doing? And then it's just like, now everyone's like, you know what? W- remote work, bitches. It's it's going to be like very, I think, South by Southwesty, And I, I just say that because that's like my closest cultural touchstone as an Austinite. But like the idea of people just kind of go to a city and there are like various scattered events at different locations and you just kind of bop around between them. And that's like a very media thing. But like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the difference will be felt in that there's not one localized thing in the way that there used to be for e3 there's not like one solid set of like three days where you have like okay it's ubisoft in the morning and then um xbox in the afternoon and then playstation at night and you kind of have these streams and people running like all day stuff and that's that's kind of the thing that i get like rosy and miss and and maybe that's because 
I, you know, I didn't grow up watching them, but I did like mark those as like cool little moments of big reveals and, and fun stuff happening. And now it's going to be like much more distant and disparate, I think. Yeah. Um, honestly, as like a media person, I am like dreading the summer um, yeah. because like like 2020 and 2021 were absolutely exhausting like as a media person and this is yes. this is like a selfish perspective but so what you ha- what we used to have is we used to have like one very condensed weekend and week where everything was happening and so you knew you knew you had to work very hard that week you'd probably be putting in some extra hours and then everybody you know would theoretically take some time off after or whatever and it would be mm-hmm. fine and then it kind of started to extend a little because like more conferences kept getting added onto the front there were a lot of leaks in the week preceding but it was still like relatively condensed into two weeks but 2020 and 2021 everybody did these digital showcases and at first everybody kind of tried to keep them condensed into roughly the same time but then they realized oh we don't actually have to do that like there's no rules we don't have to (laughs) sony doesn't have to fight with xbox that week for attention um like like other other companies little smaller companies don't have to fight with the big three for attention like they can just put crap at the end of june or the beginning of july or the end of may or whenever they want and the result is there's way more digital showcases and they're spread out over a longer period of time but they're all still like roughly in the same vicinity because everybody does kind of have stuff to announce around this time and so basically it just means that everybody's working overtime all the time things are popping off randomly constantly and everybody's having to scramble to cover them and nobody's getting pre-briefs and nobody's getting interview access because everybody's terrified of leaks and so it's exhausting and frustrating and i'm just looking at this going great I I, I did it. Wants to be an, every game wants to be an event now when it cares. Every yes. game wants, uh, to ha- wants to be its own E3, yeah. yeah. But I, I did a tweet about this, and those are like two big things that I think we're going to lose without having E3 is number one, like I think it benefits publishers to have their own events because they have so much more control over what is being shown, what is being given at E3. You could often get like an interview with some pretty high up people because there was kind of an expectation that you would, but with so many people doing their own events, now it's going to be much more controlled. They can kind of control the list of people that they invite out to that stuff. And also it's going to become more costly to cover that. So a lot of smaller sites, heck even medium, medium large sites that can't afford to send somebody to like San Francisco every other week to go interview like one director is like we're going to lose on some of that coverage and a lot of the coverage is going to be more focused on the people who can do that or or just the people who are willing to be flown out to that all the time um which is kind of a kind of a bummer but the second point and I saw some confusion about this in the discord which is why I bring it up um I noted that like there used to be a rising tide of E3, which is that like for all the big stuff that was being shown in the big halls, there'd always be like Kensha Hall or something like that, where there'd be tiny little things that you'd go find stuff that would pop up in E3 week that would be a sudden like, oh, look at this. This is really neat. This is really novel. The same way that like PAX has that stuff. But I think for E3, there was an elevated perspective I think as we move towards everybody having their own showcases, those publishers, those studios can't always afford. Like it does cost money to put on your own showcase, your own stream. Not everybody has those resources. And even if they do, 
it's harder for them to get the attention when it's not taking place within the week where there's like that E3 tie. Now they're just trying to be like, hey, we're announcing our new game. And there's a bunch of burned out journalists going like, well, uh, you're announcing it like three hours after Sony does their stream and we're all burned out. Nobody wants to work right now. So like it's hard for us to notice that Mm. in our inbox. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think that that rising tide of attention is going to sink back down. And that does kind of suck because some of my favorite memories of E3 are not the like big showy demos, but it's yeah. like playing Pyre on the floor on Greg Kasavin's laptop. <laughs> <laughs> and like nice. that was, yeah, it was like this, the last appointment I had for E3. And I was just sitting there playing a little laptop, a little like plug-in controller. And I was like, Pyre rules. Yeah, <laughs> and, I always wanted to play that one. I, I never got around to it. It's good. In many respects, E3 as a concept is old fashioned because the gaming landscape has changed dramatically. And even the small games that you're just describing, Eric, the mm-hmm. way that they get marketed and revealed to people and build fan bases, it's just different. Um, yeah, I would I would contend that uh, the media is like one of the lowest lowest drivers of interest in a a small game, and it's usually it's because it they go viral or. Uh, they get like big word of mouth and then the media starts covering them mm-hmm. or something like that. And then, I mean, E3 can't really account, for example, early access games. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, games that are in development for X years and everybody's been playing them forever. And then they finally um, they, they finally come out. It, it's never done a great job of being a home for uh, service games or online games or that kind of thing. Um, it's built around triple-a temples and frankly there just aren't that many triple-a temples out there <laughs> you know if a publisher is lucky they'll put out one or two per year so it's just it's built around an ecosystem from like the ps2 days and we were yeah. already starting to see that ecosystem change like 10 years ago honestly but the question that i have for all y'all is if E3 comes back, what form do you think it will take? Small. Small, online. <laughs> Not a, no, I think it'll be in person. I just think it'll be like a very... They'll probably rent out like a, a storefront, like a, like a church. And well, <laughs> back, back to like the basics, I think like like a focus back on like B2B and Business just conference, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, much closer to like... I don't know a smaller scale like like ces is maybe the model like like something mm-hmm. where there's like yeah there's media and there's people kind of like checking stuff out but the focus is much more on like the business side of things because that really was like the undercurrent of e3 and and theoretically one of the main reasons for it existing in the first place so here's my galaxy brain theory i don't know if they'll Hell actually yeah. do this um, Hell yeah. but okay so read pop owns packs Let's assume they are they are indeed, as they say, still working with the ESA on future E3 branded events. For years, uh, Games Industry that business site they used to write for has done like these business summits that were attached to uh, PAXs. Uh, so like the week leading up to PAX, there would be like because all the developers were in town anyway, they would hold like a couple day long business summit where people would come in. They would have like pitching meetings and they would do like on a smaller scale, a lot of the business stuff that would happen at E3. Um, and like, you know, big like Sony would show up to these like they were they were pretty well regarded, small, but well regarded. Um I would not be shocked if here in like a year or two, we start to see them attach E3 onto PAXs 
because uh, you already have a convention center. You already have people showing up. Uh, and they just like sort of either rebrand the old investment summit or or do something similar where they basically just have like an E3 business summit that is attached to it where they, you know, kind of let people do do their business stuff, maybe do something with media. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, like like use it as a branded event for for companies rather than consumers. I wouldn't be shocked if that happened. Well, in addition to E3 dying, we also got 10 minutes of Tears of the Kingdom yeah. A game uh, I I did pre-order. I did pre-order that ridiculous limited edition. I, yeah. I make no apologies for doing that. The steel bookcase was really cool. Okay. <laughs> it's really big. And so, it's really um, big and steely. It's really big. And I'm just curious about everybody's impressions from uh, what finally being able to see a little bit of uh, Tears of the Kingdom. And... Um, Eric, what do you think? Uh, I wrote this up on Destructoid uh, earlier this week because this was like the first thing I thought after I finished watching that showcase. But uh, I, I have seen all I needed, all I need to see of that game. Uh, I, I am sufficiently informed. Uh, I don't want to know anymore. Part of me feels like there was kind of this prevailing sentiment, one of the weirder prevailing sentiments around Tears of the Kingdom that like, oh, they haven't shown anything does this game even exist and and it felt like in some ways this was them just kind of giving a sign of life that like yes this is coming out in may yes this game exists but part of me almost wishes that we could just go in with like just zero idea of what's going to happen because like the I, I love all of the aspects of Breath of the Wild that are very like player ingenuity, player creativity, sort of player expression in a world. I think Breath of the Wild is amazing at that. And the idea that we're just going to be able to make Long Fork or Meat Arrow long or, or Mushroom Shield. Uh, I, I just like the second I saw that stuff, I was in love with this game like i i just was so happy and then they started fusing together boats which people had theorized was was going to happen and it was cool to see it confirmed that like yes link can just build a a ford (laughs) just build build an old truck right there uh out out in hyrule and roll it around and do link stuff with a car the speed runs for this game are gonna own so much oh it's gonna be hilarious um and like i I pointed this out that we still know next to nothing about the story, the setup, why any of this is happening, why his arm got all Princess Mononoke, like why, uh, like, does he still have his Sheikah Slate powers or does he only have these new hand powers as they're being called? Uh, And I, I'm just good. I want to find out. I want to know when the game comes out. I want to experience this all as fresh as I can because there is really nothing like going into these games and knowing as little as possible and just being amazed. Mm. Uh, We don't get that treat very often as media people. As a news writer, I feel like I have to know everything about a video game. And I love that I don't know a lot of big things about Tears of the Kingdom. And I want to keep it that way. The story that I was told when I joined IGN uh, is that when, I don't remember who our reviewer on Breath of the Wild was, but this was back when everyone was still in the office and nobody wanted to know anything about this game, like Mm -hmm. except for the people who absolutely had to. And so he built like a barricade of boxes around his (laughs) desk. (laughs) <laughs> so that nobody could see like walking by because people kept complaining that they kept catching glimpses of things and having things spoiled for them because it's just like, look, spo- the whole argument about what counts as a spoiler and what doesn't is just like, so 
personal to people and also kind of ridiculous because some people treat like if you say literally anything about anything on Twitter, yes. it's it's yeah. a spoiler. And some people just show up after watching a show and immediately ruin the ending of it for all the people who are watching it like an hour later. Uh, but I don't know. There's like a quality of, of both Tears of the Kingdom and Breath of the Wild where I just like deeply want to know nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. it's hard to explain as somebody who realizes that this is absolutely a marketing tactic and I am I am being a total shill and falling for I, it. I mean, it could be a marketing tactic, but I feel like if they really wanted it to be, then they wouldn't have done this like 10 minutes. I mean, only Nintendo could do that where they're just like, hey, we're going to show like 10 minutes of Tears of the Kingdom tomorrow and everyone just like blows up over it. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, that was like a flex in and of its own right. But I feel like they could be over marketing this but that's also like nintendo's been very just direct about the ways in which they announce and release games lately like we haven't seen that much of pikmin 4 and i don't think we're gonna see a lot of pikmin 4 because i think they're just gonna like talk about it again in june probably and then they'll be like yeah here's pikmin 4 it's a new pikmin game like go go play it why do you want to like know stuff about it like yeah you know what pikmin is yeah, I, and I think we, we did get a little more of Breath of the Wild, I think. But there was a reason for that. It was fundamentally a departure from what all other Zelda games that we had played before. So they had that demo of the Great Plateau where they were like, OK, fundamentally, the thing that you see in the Great Plateau is what this game is. Uh, and everybody got to see just enough of it to get an idea and then go talk about it. And then we all walked away. And that was great. But here we're not getting any kind of hands on demo ahead of time yet. Um, so I don't know if there will be one or not, but like. I don't know. It feels like that was. I don't know. It, it feels like we had more of Breath of the Wild, I guess is what I'm saying. But they had a reason for that. And we have less yeah, of Tears of the Kingdom. Yeah. And but that feels OK because we already know like the baseline of what this is going to be. Yeah, we have an idea of what this is going to be. They, yeah. they tripled down on the toy box aspect from what I mm. can kind of gather and sort of saying, hello, go have fun. You're going you're gonna to go have a blast, maybe. Um, at, to your point, there's some games that don't need a lot of marketing because exactly. there's a lot of awareness already, right? I think I, I, I think there's some pretty good mind share for Tears of the Kingdom. Yeah, I think that's uh, the difference. Also, is the position Nintendo was in when uh, Breath of the Wild was coming out. Like Nintendo had a lot riding on that. It had the Switch, it had a new Zelda game after like you know its popularity had been waning for a bit. So obviously, it was going to give us as much as it could as much as it like really wanted to but now it's like oh well everyone and their mother has a switch we know you're going to buy this game so why should we tell you everything and i appreciate that outlook i think there's going to be more that they reveal in the next month or so they will um, definitely build up more hype not saying, time for it though it's a month yeah, away it's, it's it's coming it's we we are a month away from tears of the kingdom like that i'm just so saying crazy. that because it makes me smile a little bit like i i try not wow. to be a sucker for marketing and getting hype and stuff but like yeah. a month from now i will be playing legend of zelda tears of the kingdom and i'm very happy about that same i um i'm curious how it's going to uh come off i hope that I hope that it's not all just toy box stuff, that there's a, a somewhat interesting story, um, that the world is interesting to explore and that kind of thing. I think with the way Nintendo reveals things as well, it's like they showed us Mario Odyssey and we're like, oh, cool. Mario is in like this cool land. And then later on, they showed us, holy crap, he can possess people with his hat. Like they tend to do that. <laughs> so I, I'm not worried. Like I, I think the toy box aspect is fantastic, but I'm pretty sure there's going to be more to it than that. 
the the breath of the wild story defender has logged on and is here. here to tell I'm here you with you i that, like, like sorry everyone who's out here being like i want a more story driven zelda guess what you had those in previous games and none of them were as good as breath of the wild breath of the wild is a really good story it's a really well told story that uses like the good aspects of the world to to tell said story environmental like, storytelling is storytelling the the entire like yep. the entire like concept of you basically have a camera roll of pictures in this cell phone that you're having to go back and when you go there you like reawaken memories and stuff it's so good because i i think one of my favorite parts was going to where one of the photos was and it was this battlefield where they were just like strewn weapons and like husks of guardians and stuff everywhere and you're like oh stuff happened here but this is where my memory is and then you have the flashback to the moment when like link fell and Mm -hmm. it's it's so good it's such an impactful moment like there's something about seeing these places in the present and then like flashing back to how they were in the past that like hits so hard and the actual like little storylines in breath of the wild i've been going back to it because i kind of want to just like reacquaint myself with how that game handles and plays and stuff and i've been doing some of the side quests i missed the first time around so like the little town that you can build up and things like that oh that's a great um, side yeah. quest that's a yeah. great side quest and, and it's, it's just so, so it's so charming and so interesting and it weaves itself so well into the world whereas like i like twilight princess i can't remember more than like i don't know five sentences of twilight midna. princess story midna <laughs> yeah. exists in that game midna and- midna there have hand link wolf uh and midna get older that's like all i midna, remember <laughs> midna makes it all worth it no i'm so with you eric i i'm so glad you're here i would not have brought this up because i'm again the weird game liker but no you're completely right and all all of those things the, all those videos people posted i'm killing cat right now all those videos that people posted <laughs> of like, oh my god, I think this was Lon Lon Farm or whatever it is, mm-hmm, um, and mm-hmm. like like all the, all the different places, and they're like, oh, it's it's not explicitly stated, but I'm pretty sure it matches up. That's also storytelling. That totally counts. Yes. Um, and all of the writing is really good too. All of the NPC writing is great. Uh, there mm-hmm. is this. Uh, I I actually saw this I think on Twitter the other day. Uh, like if you there's like a farmer or something in I think like Hiteno and like every character if you like have a bomb around them they're like ah it's a bomb don't put take that out here but that guy he's like a farmer and he grows pumpkins and he looks at you and he's like is that a blue pumpkin <laughs> um, and, and that's just like one example but they're all like that there's all these like really subtle dialogue like changes depending on the circumstances and all these like little little tiny moments that tell you more about the world and the characters and this this pl- place that Leek is in anyway that's it's great. Yeah, more of I, that. I really like the Terrytown quest um, because that's such a. I wrote a whole thing about like how Breath of the Wild is a really, really good apocalypse game. Like it's mm-hmm. actually mm-hmm. probably farmer based yeah, on reality. Yeah, it's Castle in the Sky. It's far, probably farmer based on reality than like the road or, or or something like that, which is all like you know, grungy. Everyone hates each other, sort of thing. But uh, no, you think so? Hmm. I'm just, no, I mean, do you not remember the article? It was I, I thought it was like pretty I well do. researched. I do. I remember, but I mean, uh, the, it it kind of popularized the the green apocalypse concept yeah. in a in a video game, sort of. Um, but it was it was basically people kind of putting their lives back together, and I just like the fact that yeah. it was a, kind of a very adult quest in a way where you have these people who are like, you know what, I want to settle down, I want to get married, but I have no idea how to go about it. 
And they're just like, hey, uh, it was the Gerudo woman, because they usually Gerudo, I think they travel looking for her husbands or whatever. And they just happen across each other and say, hey, you want to give this a try? It's like, sure, okay. So they got married, they built up a town, and it turns out they like each other. And it was just really cute. I thought it was really well written. I, I, I love this story because it's just about like, it is so sad. It's about like the loss of like, like Link has failed. People have died. Like all the all, pretty much everyone Link has ever known is dead, like a hundred years dead at that point. Yeah. But like you can rebuild. You can not like get back what was lost, but you can build something new that is going to make it better for the people that, that yeah. come after you. And I found that that was just like a really compelling through line throughout that entire story was like you are never going to overcome that. You're never going to undo the failure that happened in the past, but you can build up and build out further and move on from this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was just, it was really beautiful. I loved it. I, I want to say something controversial. <laughs> you don't say, <sighs> okay. I agree with all of you. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes! yeah. Oh, I didn't see that one oh coming. Oh my God. Hey, breath of the wild has a good story. Yes! I'm wondering and, and I like the way that it's structured. And I think environmental mm, storytelling mm-hmm. is great. And it's a lot richer than people give it credit for. Mm, what I'm mm-hmm, wondering mm-hmm. is, what form will that take in Tears of the Kingdom? That's Are that's they fair. going yeah. to... Are, are Is it like purely exploration? Is it purely mechanical? Is I'm it sure purely a, a toy box? Zelda always has some kind of story. And uh, it's always, maybe. It's always like that kind of subtle storytelling, though. Like, I mean, shout out to actually the shrine they built to Iwata in that game. Like, that's still one of the most yeah. heartbreaking things I've ever seen in a video game. Like, that's the kind of storytelling they're capable of. Yeah. it's So they can't do the memories thing again, right? Like right, They've, they've right. done it once, and I think even if they found, like, a like a gimmick to do it again, I think it would be a little overplayed. A little, little um, hacky. But I think there's something going on, right? Like, we haven't talked about this in a while because we're all very, like, interested in these mechanics. But, like, there's two links, right? Like, we've seen two links. Like, there's the dude who looks kind of rough and tumble and, like, long hair. And then there's the the link we know with the ponytail and the blue, uh, which I know he can change clothes, so whatever. But, like, the hair thing. The hair thing is new, and I'm pretty sure it's not just because you can customize hairstyles. That would be ridiculous. Um, I mean, cool, but ridiculous. There is there is a story um, here. You're right, Red. There's because something the first, happening here. The first trailer we saw, which I think was at an E3 or a direct around E3, was um we they really focused on that whole Ganondorf aspect like the, the yeah. withered old mummy aspect like so there's something there they want to tell a story. A yeah. popular theory is that we are going to flash back to like Ganondorf and and be Ganondorf, but um that's that's like <laughs> <laughs> hell yeah. Sure. <laughs> um, but I mean, one of the big things like again, like skip this if you don't want to hear any speculation or anything, but like one of the big things that this 10 minute showcase did reveal was one of the items that those little green machines drop was called a Zonai charge. And like the Zonai are a kind of precursor race is my understanding that oh, you can find hints yeah. about in the original Breath of the Wild. Right. Yeah. So the the running theory right now is that all the islands lifting up into the sky and the ruins and the machines and stuff are all kind of like digging up an ancient civilization like literally pulling it out of the earth and into the sky um and i would be curious then if you're going to start to like if it becomes a story about what was hyrule like if hyrule was literally built over the ruins of an old civilization how did that happen and what role did hyrule play in that and 
why are the Zonai back now? And and you could maybe get into some really interesting stuff. I feel like the the sequel games, like the follow up games, the the weird Zeldas are always the ones that get into really interesting narrative fodder. You have like Link's Awakening, Majora's Mask, like those are the ones that get into some really cool, interesting topics where Link is maybe not always a hero in a proper sense or there's like deeper things happening than just like i have to get the triforce and stop ganon like and and that's what i'm most interested to see is like what if i mean ganon's calamity ganon's defeated what if like the goals are different and more murky than they've been yeah well we will know soon enough because legend of zelda tears of the kingdom will be out in a month it's pretty amazing This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. All right, it's time now to talk about the Pantheon of the Blood God Revisit, the segment in which we revisit a game that we put into the Pantheon or did not put into the Pantheon and talk about, was that the right call? And it's ahead of a uh, an episode, a special that we're going to be doing later this month, the Pantheon of the Blood God Revisit, in which we re-examine our Pantheon choices and reorder it and uh, make some decisions on that front. This this week, we're talking about Xenogears, which was put into the Pantheon by Acclamation. And I'm wondering, was that the right call? Eric, have you ever played Xenogears? Nope. I know. It's weird. I've played Xenosaga and Xenoblade, but I haven't played Xenogears. Uh, and I would like to play it at some point because I keep seeing an image of a small Furby getting crucified, but... Uh, that's uh, just never got around. It doesn't to make it. more. It doesn't make any more sense in the game. I'm I know. Sorry. I know. Spoiler. Look, I I want to believe that it it could make more sense, but I don't want it to make more sense. I want it to just be a thing that happens with no sense. Hmm. How about you, Reb? I have also never played Zeno Gears. Mm-hmm. It's a very very game of its time. Like, mm. of course, it's Takahashi, and Takahashi's brilliant as far as I'm concerned. So this was his. Uh, I feel like also he really needed Nintendo to kind of rein him in. So this was before Nintendo reined him in, and he's like at his wildest and craziest. And what an odd, odd game! I don't even remember if I voted for it in the Pantheon or not. Like it was, I feel like it's one of those games that's been bested by consecutive work. But I don't know. Maybe that's controversial. It has retained a uh, a popular following. I want to yeah, say it does have Billy Black. 
<laughs> it does, in fact, have Billy Black. There's a, a small contingent that continues to be fascinated by its story and its world and uh, its scope. And there's a little bit of a hint of what could have been um, with it. I I just appreciate how how big it tried to go. Yes, on it the, tried uh, the to go extremely huge. It's definitely emblematic of a time for Square. And um, it has a great soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Mitsuda's best. <clears throat> so uh, for that reason, um, is probably Xenogears. I, I think it remains lodged in the popular imagination in so many ways as a defining Square game and maybe a a vision of what classical JRPGs wanted to be. Um, also has uh, Omni Gears, which are pretty cool, and Choo Choo getting crucified. So, <laughs> um, Rhett, I mean, Eric, you should play Xeno Gears. You'd probably like it if you like Octopath Traveler. That's slightly what? more. Uh, Wait, how? It has nothing to do does, with Octopath Traveler. How does that link up? <laughs> I don't Octopath know. Traveler has a piece of narrative. <laughs> if that's where it starts. Are there like are there eight? Did you characters just say that Xenogears? Octopath Traveler has a better narrative than Xenogears? No, cohesive, cohesive, cohesive. Talk yeah. about two as well. Yeah. Oh no, it definitely has a much better, a much Mango, more cohesive Mango Olds in the chat saying the Xenogears Final Fantasy X Evangelion religious faith destroying trifecta. Okay, see that's how you sell it to me. If you say like there we're gonna, go. like like we're gonna use over <laughs> emphasized church imagery and also maybe church bad, then you know now. Oh I'm god, on this board. is the game that did that as far as a lot of people are mm. concerned. Yeah. I mean, everyone okay. did it, but they really did it. I mean, Xeno Saga literally had Jesus Christ as a character, just as an actual Thinking character. Back, Xenoblade uh, Chronicles Three had a lot in common with Xenogears. A lot of people were pointing out. Now I can kind of see the the correlations in my head, but that's a whole other discussion. I, I need to finish Xenoblade Chronicles Three before yeah, I play Xenogears. Yeah. That's a uh, that's yeah, gonna happen. I showed Cat the picture. I haven't shown you the picture. Look, I will I will look at the picture eventually one Good. day. Maybe I'll Good. do it. No, I'm not going to do it today. But <laughs> All right. Well, we will be able to discuss this more when we do the Pantheon of the Blood God revisit later this month. But for now, Nadia, take us home. Did you know today, or maybe it was yesterday, or today, after this recording, Final Fantasy VI, it's its 26th anniversary! Woo! Wow. Now, here's where I was 26 years ago. I was reading GamePro. My dad had got me a, an issue, my first wow, issue, because it was Pro. raining. Yep, the GamePro. It was raining out, we were on vacation, so he got me an issue, or he got us an issue, my brothers and I. And I remember reading, uh, there was uh, one guy who had a column of what was going on in Japan, because that's the way it worked back then. One guy lived there, one guy wrote about what was going on, and he's writing about Final Fantasy VI. And this had me boggled, because I'm thinking to myself, okay, back then I wasn't huge into RPGs. I had just gotten back in with Secret of Mana, and I would get in with with, uh, with Final Fantasy uh, VI-6. But at the time, I didn't know it was going to be localized. And so I'm like, why, is this, why are there six Final Fantasies already? Like, I knew two was out. I hadn't played it. And I wasn't keeping, like, really close tabs on Final Fantasy at the time, but I'm like, how do we go from 2 to 6? It was very much a Mega Man moment where you're like, how do we go from 6 to 10? 
because we didn't know that X was like, you know, Mega Man X. We thought it was Mega Man 10. So yeah, that was very confusing. But uh, dear God, what a great game. Probably like one of the most influential games of my life. I interviewed Ted Wolsey, the, the localizer, because of that very reason. Uh, I mean, I've already said everything that can be said about this game, but I do want to kind of point out what did you name your characters when you played Final Fantasy VI for the first time or any RPG that you could really kind of struck home to you? Because around the time that Final Fantasy VI came out and I did play it on the SNES, I was into Power Rangers. So I named like Locke Tommy because I had a huge crush on Tommy, RIP. And uh, just I think I had like like uh, uh, Celeste is Trini, and and like I think one of them was Rocky because at that point, like they, the other cast was in as well. Uh, my brother tried the game for two seconds, just long enough to get as far as Edgar and Sabin, and named them uh, Spliff and Queef. So, and then he gave up. <laughs> so yeah, that's the house I grew up in. Yeah, uh, I just wanted to shout out Final Fantasy VI because if not for Final Fantasy VI, I don't know where I'd be. Probably in a gutter somewhere. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. Anything could happen. I, I no longer name my RPG characters because it seems counter to the actual story. I name my Pokemon because they're pets. Yeah. Um, Pokemon right. At the time when I was playing Final Fantasy VI for the first time, I named them after uh, the characters that were from um, my ongoing writing group. Aww. Yeah. So I was like, oh. I'll name them Blue and Veil and all of that stuff. So, Oh, I love that. Blue. How, like, high school is that? Yeah, right? Yeah. Um, I, you make me, you're making me think of, what was EGM's column? Land of the Rising Fun? Yes, yes. I was thinking of Trackman in Japan for GamePro. I don't know where that dude is these days, but yeah. Wow, GamePro. Um, Reb, did you name your characters in RPGs when you were playing them as a little... No, absolutely not. Uh, it, with some, it, except for customizable protagonists. Uh, but but mm, I would mm-hmm. not name the whole party. I did know the cheat. I still have it memorized uh, to do so in Golden Sun, uh, but I do not use it. How about you, Eric? Uh, yeah, if it was like a fairly blank slate, blank slate protagonist, I was supposed to just like project onto. Then I I named the character after myself. But for the most part, um, <laughs> great if it was dragon any- slayer, Eric. Yeah, Actually, Eric yeah. Van Allen's a pretty cool Dragon Slayer name. I just you know we right try, there. you know the Van we, Allen. We, but uh, yeah, no, largely I I don't rename anything in games. Even I used to rename Link in in some of the Zeldas where you could do that, and even that felt kind of weird. So uh, I I'm just at the point now where I just don't rename Opened anything. I, I was talking earlier about how I played Zelda two. I have it on just Switch Online or whatever, and I recently opened up my game because I was like, oh, I'll play Zelda two again. I had named link l dog like l dash dog wg i'm like that's pretty good i like that l dog l dog the kingdom is under attack l dog we need your help l dog l dog wake up how could l dog save hyrule at this rate oh good old l dog if i can name a character i always name them cat no matter what that includes link I always thought it was kind of weird naming characters after yourself because it's not like I am them. Mm. But when I first saw the name Princess Nadia in Chrono Trigger, I lost it. Like, I just hit the ceiling. I'm like, Mom, Mom, come here. There's a character named Nadia. She's like, holy shit. Because it was not, now it's a little more common, but it was, it's not an extremely common name. So, like, if it's a character that you kind of create and all that, 
there I think that's fair. Although these days I used to self-insert into games like in Dragon Age and, and Baldur's yeah. Gate and stuff like that. Whereas nowadays I like to actually just make a character as if I was playing a D&D campaign and like play that character because I think that's just more like narratively fulfilling to me these days. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I think I'm this might sound weird, but I feel like I'm past the era of self-inserting into RPGs. I can never I think be I, past that. Well, when I'll I, probably I, like when Dreadwolf comes out, I'll probably self-insert. But like when Baldur's huh. Gate comes out, I, I'll probably play like some created character that I come up with because I had more fun doing that with in Baldur's Gate 3. Than I did, I did with do that with um, when I played FF14 for the first time. I'm like, oh, here's my stupid character. Haha, <laughs> dumb cowboy named yeah. stupid face. And then I yeah. turned him into a character with a narrative. So, yeah, I, I, basically, I basically made me but Geralt. Uh, for my first 14 character and I thought he was just like boring and cookie cutter so I made a dragon lady instead and I was like cool and now like I have a whole narrative creation around my character and I love her story she's great and and I feel like I've made it it was like when we made our D&D characters like yeah, I, yeah, I love exactly. I still love Koronok as that like weirdo warlock character I still love all of our D&D characters uh, good it's like California. more it's more entertaining to me to do that than to just like, I don't know, be like, mm. I, it's me. <laughs> and meanwhile, Mike is just like, as you say, it's me. Huh? I'm a black eye and a tie in Final Fantasy. Oh, yeah. No, Mike it. Williams in Final Fantasy 14 is just Mike Williams in Final Fantasy 14. With a that nice jacket. He, he just isekai'd himself into the world of Eorzea and it's great. Yeah. I have a really I'm hard time way. not making. I have a really hard time not making self inserts with customizable mm-hmm. character creators just because it. I don't know it, it because usually those games also have like decisions, like choice based decisions. And I don't know. I feel I, f- I have a really difficult time when I'm playing through games, not going with what I as a person want as a, and trying to like role play fair. as someone when I'm making choices in a game whose story I'm going to see. Uh, but I I prefer playing characters that have been created for me. Like like there there mm. is a main character with a name and a story, and it is not yeah. me. I like if given the choice, I would rather do that than have a self insert. Me too. Character. Me too. But. I find it easier to make those choices, especially ones that I wouldn't normally make because it's like the Mass Effect problem of like every time I try to play it with like my character and it's like my character, I just end up making like all the Paragon choices and stuff. And I had to like make a distinctly different character from myself to actually do Renegade stuff and engage with that part of the game. And so like I, that that's why I find it interesting. Psychology. But yeah, uh, point is when I first played Dragon Quest, I named my character Barf. Mm, mm-hmm, I'm a mm-hmm. mog, half man. I'm my own best powerful, friend. Powerful. And on that note, that's the end of this week's episode of Axe of the Blood God. Thank you so much for listening. I have been your host, Cat Bailey, and I was joined as always by Nadia and Eric. You can follow us on Twitter at the underscore Catbot. Nadia's at Nadia Oxford. Eric is at Cmuzi, and Reb is at Duck. Valentine. If you want to support the podcast, you can support us at Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod.com, and you can buy merch at shop.bloodgodpod.com. We'll be back, as always, to talk more about the genre that we love. But until then, for Nadia, Eric, Reb, and myself, thanks for listening, and happy adventuring.
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 